All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Man, we're glad to see you in the house. Hey, get your Bible out and uh, let's do what we do. Let's get into God's word. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one at your seat. Open it up to Colossians chapter 3. We are in our 316 series. We looked at John 316 last week. We were at 2 Timothy 316. Today we're in Colossians uh, 316. So have your Bible, open that thing up to Colossians chapter 3. You know, it, boy, it felt good this morning, didn't it? It's kind of cold outside. I mean, it's not hot yet. It's so nice. I mean, last night I actually had to have a blanket on. We were outside around a fire. I mean, it was just perfect weather. And uh, I love this time of year. Uh, Things are greening up and the grass is greening and things are blossoming and it's just so pleasant. Uh, We're not blazing hot yet here in Texas. We will be soon, but not yet. And, uh, you know, I was doing some yard work yesterday and I still had a bunch of dead leaves left over from the winter still in my yard. But it just reminded me, you know, as the trees, you know, they're blossoming and they're green and, and there might be a few dead leaves that have been hanging on through the winter, but as the new growth comes, they're kind of pushed out uh, because new life has come, right? And that's really the picture of a Christian. You know, before Christ, uh, we did a lot of things that we're not proud of. Before Christ, we lived in a certain way. But now that Jesus has come into our life, all of a sudden this newness in Christ uh, pushes out those old behaviors and God brings new things into our life. And that's really what Paul is writing about in this book of Colossians. He's writing to a church, the Apostle Paul writing to a church in a city called Colossae. And he's writing to them about being new. And in fact, if you look at Colossians 3, he talked about this change that happens. When you look at verses 5 through 11, he said, these are the old leaves that have to be pushed out, the things you need to get rid of, the things that are are part of your old life that's dead now and gone. And then if you look in verses 14 or 12 through 14, these are the new things that God's bringing in. And by the way, that would be a good study for you this week to kind of look into those things. What are the old things? What are the new things that God wants to produce in me? Okay. But one of the major themes of this new life is that you also, when you come to Christ, you gain a new family. You gain a new family. You're a part of a new family. The Christian faith does not only just about believing, but it's also about belonging. That you belong to a family, a church family, the family of God. In fact, in, in Ephesians 2.19, it says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners spiritually, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that great? I mean, we're all born again with one father, a heavenly father. We got a bunch of brothers. That's why people go, hey, brother, hey, sister. You know, it may sound a little odd, but it really is true. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one big, crazy, happy family, and that is the family of God. And so I don't know what your church family experience has been like. You know, my family, my church family experience has basically been really good. I mean, I grew up, my dad was in ministry all my life. I've been growing up in church and some of my best friends were people in my church. You know, some of my greatest experiences happened in a church context. And so I'm very thankful for the positive church family experiences I had growing up. 
Uh, and some of you are the same way. You're like, man, that's right. That's just how I was raised. But you know what? Some of you may not. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And so this whole thing is a little different, a little strange to you. Some of you have got some church hurt, all right? You, you were a part of a church and, and somebody talked badly about you or disappointed you or, or harmed you in some way. And so you've got, you know, that that you're still processing. And so I know we all come to this place called the church from different, different places, right? From different experiences. But can we just agree that relationships are difficult? Relationships are hard, you know what I mean? Whether it's in your, your church family, whether it's in your own nuclear family or, or at work, relationships are dicey and hard. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae to explain to them how we operate as a family. It's almost like he's saying, like the dad, the saying, okay, this is how we do it in our family. You know, it's, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to say, hey, mom and dad, can I do such and such? And then I would quickly follow that up with, well, Johnny's family lets him do that or his parents let them stay up or whatever the case may be. And they would always give me the same line. That works great for Johnny's family, but you're in this family and we do things differently in this family, right? Any, any parent use that uh, phrase, phraseology? Okay, that's in the parent handbook, all right? I think page 33 in parent handbook. Yeah, so that's kind of what he's doing here. This is how we do things in the family, in God's family, all right? So I'm gonna give you a couple of things right out of this passage. Uh, and so let's just look at it together. Let's read it together before we dive into the details. Uh, Colossians chapter three, look, beginning at verse 15. This is the word of God. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, just one quick observation before we dive into it. This is really a, a we message. It's more of a we message than a me message. He's talking to them about the, their gathering, their church, how they operate together as a family. Notice in verse 15, uh, he talks about them as one body. We're one body of believers in the local church. In verse 16, he says, one another. This is how we treat uh, one another in this church. So this is how we're going to act in the family of God. And so he pulls out a couple things that are really important. Great things you may know, but it's good things for us to be reminded of today. All right, the first thing I want you to write down is this. In this family, we pursue peace. In this family, we pursue peace peace. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called one body rule in your hearts. All right. Paul starts in the very first chapter of Colossians, verse 20, 21, talking about our peace with God. He says, because Christ has come, we were at odds with God, our sin separates from God. And then because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're now at peace with God. You know, vertically, we have peace. But now he's talking about we need to have peace horizontally. 
We need to have peace uh, with one another. And he's making that shift. He's not talking here about inner peace, like peace from anxiety or peace from worry. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. He's not talking about that. He's talking about peace among one another. How we live in peace uh, with one another uh, together. And this is really important. It was important for the church at Colossae. Uh, in fact, let me just tell you a little bit about the town. The Church of Colossae was located in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today, about 120 miles east of Ephesus, which was a major uh, metropolitan area. Um, it was not too far from Laodicea and Hierapolis, which were major towns. I think we've got a map here where you can see uh, where it is located. Uh, and it was a very diverse place. A lot, uh, it was along the east-west trade route, so there were lots of different cultures, languages, different ethnicities, different kinds of people that were there in Colossae. And uh, in fact, if you think about a diverse city today, you probably think of LA or maybe New York City or maybe Chicago as diverse. I read a report this week that the number one, one uh, group said the number two most diverse city in the United States is Irving, Texas. Isn't that amazing? Right here. And so just thinking about a multiplicity of cultures and languages and customs, that was Colossae. There were a lot of different kinds of people. Not only that, they had lots of different pagan shrines. So all those people from these different cultures brought their own pagan gods, their own pagan practices. And so spiritually, it was a very, very diverse city. Really, a plurality of deities was present in Colossae. All right, so... How now that these people are getting coming out of that background, they're getting saved, they're hearing about Christ, and they're coming into the local church and they're bringing all that with them, all their baggage and their past and their histories and their customs. How in the world are they going to get along? Every one of those differences is a fault line with just a little pressure it could displace. So, how do you get along? It's, it's very similar to today. We have a very diverse church here. Uh, we've got a lot of different people from, for example, uh, we have, we have Texans and then we have people that are from, not from Texas that are, that are in our church, right? It's okay. We love you. You're all welcome. All right. Uh, uh, we have, uh, we have people that are, are Republicans and Democrats and independents and others that don't care a lick about any, any of that. All right. Uh, we have, we have people that are coming and are part of our church. They're from a Catholic background, Lutheran background, Methodist background, charismatic background, uh, Baptist background, just all different kinds of backgrounds with their own traditions and ways that we do things and how I always grew up doing it this way. How in the world are we all going to get along? Well, he tells us, you let the peace of Christ rule. You let the peace of Christ rule. What that means is that we're going to pursue peace. We're going to pursue peace. Now, by the way, this isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about that. Uh, Hebrews 12, 4, uh, pursue peace with everyone. In other words, uh, just pursue this. Make this your goal. Hebrews, I mean, Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, I, I'm doing the most that I can to get to a place of peace. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Get that? You're in the family, and in the family as God's kids, we're, we're peacemakers. You know, Liz and I this week, uh, we're going to get a coffee, and we're talking about the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. 
right? Peacekeepers just try to keep the peace. And so they'll oftentimes not address difficult issues, not have hard conversations. They're just trying to keep the peace, right? But a peacemaker is different. A peacemaker intentionally oftentimes steps in to resolve conflict, to have the hard conversations, to get to a point where we can be at peace with one another. And Jesus said, if you're really in the family, if you're a child of God, then you're going to be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. And so uh, uh, this is what it means for the, the, the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. That word rule there is a really important word. It only appears here, in the, only in this spot and nowhere else in the Bible. And the word rule there literally is translated an umpire. Now think about it, an umpire, what does an umpire do? An umpire in a baseball game is going to call balls and strikes. An umpire is going to determine whether you're safe or you're out, right? An umpire is going to handle disputes. If, if, there's, a, if there's a rule question, the umpire comes in and he, he settles it and he determines what's going to happen at that point. And, uh, and many times you've been to a ball game where there was a contested call. You ever been to a ball game where there was a contested call? Somebody's coming into base and one whole side of the stadium says, he's safe. You know, and the other side goes, he's out, yo. And I mean, if there's no umpire to make the call, man, it's going to get ugly, right? It's going to get really, and I'm talking about Little League, right? I'm talking about Little League. It's going to get really ugly. The parents are going to go on hands and, and you got to have an umpire that rules, that calls the shots, that says what's going to happen. And he's saying, let, let the peace of Christ do this. Let the, peace, let the pursuit of the peace of Jesus call the shots in how you treat one another. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, just go up a verse. Go up a couple of verses. Look, look up at verse 13. And it tells you, look at verse 13. He says, bearing with one another forgiving one another. Look at verse 14. Above all, put on love. That's how, it, that's how it rules. We go back to the word of God and the peace of Christ says, hey, you need to bear with your brother and sister. Part of the peace of Christ ruling is that I just, I just don't go off on every offense. You know, I overlook an offense. I bear with you. You bear with me, right? We bear with each other. We forgive each other. Hey, well, you know what she did to me or what he said about me or how they didn't do this for me when I needed them. Hey, you forgive one another just like you've been forgiven. You love one another just like in your own family. Do you ever have conflict in your own family? Yes. Uh, but do you love each other? Sure we do. We just work it out. That's how we do it in God's family. We work it out. This is not a perfect place. Folks, this is not a perfect place. Are we going to have conflict in here? Uh, guaranteed. We're going to have conflict in here. If it's perfect, you know, somebody always said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because then you'll mess it up, right? Because we all are messed up and we all bring our baggage. But, but we work at pursuing peace. We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So that's the first thing he said. In our family, that's what we're going to do. We're going to work toward peace. We're going to let the peace of Christ call the shots. We're going to do what God tells us to do to get to a place of peace. Second thing he said, in our family, we dwell on God's word. Now look at verse 16. This is the 316 verse. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
Underline the phrase, a word of Christ dwell richly. I love the, the word dwell there. It means to be at home. What he's saying, again, it's talking about how we gather in community. When we get together as a church family, we need to let the word of God dwell here. Dwell to be at home here. Is the word of God at home here among us when we're gathered together? Is anybody opening up this book? Are we talking about it? Does the word of God dwell among us? And do we dwell in the word of God? That's the idea. That we're dwelling on the word of God. We're at home with the word of God. And the word of God is at home here in this uh, church family. You know, we have a code at, at Cross Creek. And one of our codes says this, we eat, sleep, and breathe God's word. And, and I hope that that's, that's noticed. When somebody comes in for the first time, I hope they go, wow, man, they're, they're opening their Bible. They're talking about the Bible. They're preaching from the Bible. They're learning about the Bible. That should be at home with us. That's the atmosphere that we have. We eat, sleep, and breathe God's word. I remember a, a friend of mine years ago that went to California to a very popular Bible church there. And when they came back, I said, well, how was it? You know, what was it like? And they said, you know, what really stood out to us is that everywhere we went on the campus of the church, we found people clustered up in the hallways, in the rooms, in the common areas. All of them had their Bible open. I thought, you know, that's a church where the word of God is dwelling richly among them. And that's what God wants for us. He wants the word of God to dwell among us. Well, how does the word of God dwell? Well, he points out three different things. I want you to put a box around them, okay? The first one I want you to put a box around in verse 16 is the word teaching. Teaching, see that? The way the word of God dwells in us as a church family is that we're going to teach it. Now, the word teaching here means to learn or to learn uh, for knowledge's sake. Uh, it often is used in conjunction with preaching. Acts 5.25, Acts 5.42, Acts 15.35 talks about teaching and preaching. This normally happens in a large group. We found, uh, if you read the book of Acts, you find the apostle Paul was in Ephesus. Remember, it was on the map. And there in Ephesus, he spent two years in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus where the church would gather together and he taught them the word of God. I mean, he taught them for hours, teaching them the truth of God's word, teaching them. And, and we now know that the church of Colossae was planted because of that teaching ministry of Paul in Ephesus. So the teaching of the word is the public proclamation of the word of God and teaching it so that we can understand it and we can live it out. Nobody wants a little 15-minute homily that says something lofty that we don't even understand what it means, right? You got to get down into it and say, this is what it means. This is how it applies to your life. And that's the role. That should be happening right here. Any pastor that stands up and it claims to be a pastor uh, should be one who opens the word of God and teaches it to you and encourages you to obey it and to follow it. That's his job. And so this teaching is really important. But I want you to put a box around another word and that is the word admonishing. See that there? Put another box around that word. Now admonishing means to warn or to exhort or to encourage or to confront or to counsel, all right? Now, this normally happens in small group. You, I mean, I can exhort you to a certain degree right here, but it would be a little awkward if I'm in the middle of my sermon and then I walk down and I walk up directly to you and say, now what this means is in your life, you need to do X, Y, Z, right? That would get a little awkward, right? 
If the pastor leaves a platform, it's like the lion out of the cage, right? We don't, we don't want him walking over to me, right? But that's why we do connect groups. And when we get into connect groups, we open up God's word. But then we get down to, okay, how does this apply in this situation? How does this apply to my family, to my marriage, to my work? Uh, and we encourage each other and we counsel each other and we exhort each other uh, to obey it. Think about, think about buying a suit. If you go to a department store and you buy a suit, you're gonna find the general size. I'm a 42, I'm a 52, I'm a what, 38 or whatever your size is. And then you're gonna put it on, but you're not gonna probably walk out of it like that because the hem is all too long and the sleeves are too long. So you're gonna go to a tailor and the tailor's gonna, gonna do the hem just right and do cuffs just right and tailor it to you so that it really fits. In many ways, from the platform, I'm giving you the suit. I'm giving you the, the big principles of how this applies. But when you get into small group and you open it up, then all of a sudden in your conversation, you're learning how the word of God begins to shape my life in, in my marriage, in my, in my work, or whatever the case may be, all right? So large group and small. Why, people say, why do we do large group and small? There's a biblical reason for that. Teaching and admonishing, that's why we do it. But there's one more thing he mentions. Look at it. Teaching, admonishing, and put a box around the word singing. See that? Singing. We let the word of God dwell in us as we're taught from in large group, as we talk about it in small group, and as we sing the word of God. We're a singing family. We're like the Van Trapp family, man. We're a singing family. We sing the word of God. And let me tell you a story. I, I got a confession to make. I got I got I, I mean, in all transparency, honesty, vulnerability, your pastor wants to make a confession I've never made ever from the platform. Are you ready? I'm a Cubs fan. I know some of you are grieved in your spirit right now, right? I get that. Some of you are like, yes, you know. Uh, but I'm a Cubs fan, man. When I was doing my doctoral work 20 years ago, I was in Chicago. I just, just kind of adopted the Cubs. And so I, I love being a Cubs fan. And, uh, and I remember many times I would go to Wrigley Field, but I never got to go inside. I would just drive by it. And of course, I would see games on TV and go, there's the Ivy, there's Wrigley Field. But I always had this desire to actually go to a game. And that didn't happen until last year. Last year, a friend of mine and I, we flew to Chicago. It was like a bucket list thing for me. And we took lots of time. We walked around and saw all the statues and all the history. It's like a hundred year old ballpark. And so it was so great, so historic. And it was a beautiful day. They were playing the Red Sox. The Cubs won. I mean, it just could, it could have been better. I mean, it was like the awesome day. And uh, at the end of the, of the game, after it was over, the Cubs won. Everyone was so excited. Everyone was clapping, cheering. I get my stuff together. I'm starting to walk out of the ballpark and I get a couple of steps down and I started to hear something. Now I'd never heard this before, but I looked around and everyone was singing a song. They were all singing this go Cubs go song, you know, and they were, and they were all singing this song loud, singing this song about the Cubs and how they won. And it was like, man, I don't know this song, you know? And, and so I'm kind of picking it up. And I'm going, yeah, by the end of it, man, I'm singing. And I mean, they're all diversity, all different kinds of people. No, no one probably agreed politically, you know, everybody's from different, but they all had this one thing in common. They were singing with all their heart, this, this, and I got this sense that I'm part of something bigger than myself in singing this song. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what it's like when we come together, 
right? And how much more so? We're not just singing about a ball game here. We're singing about Christ. We're singing about our Lord Jesus. We're singing about the victory in Christ and what he's done in our lives. And we're, yeah, we're different and we're from different backgrounds and we got differences, but, but we're one in Jesus Christ. And when we come together, we sing. Now listen, there wasn't one person on the, in that stadium that was cautious about how they sounded to their neighbor. I don't want to sing very good because they might think I don't sing very good. You know, nobody's, they're just singing. Let me give you a little newsflash here. Nobody cares here how you sound. All we care about is that you join in the song. Man, join in the song. That's why we sing. We're a singing family. We pursue peace, but we let the word of God dwell. We learn it, we talk about it, and we sing it out. And, and then he even goes on to tell us like what kind of songs we sing. Notice there, he lists three categories of song. One is Psalms. Those, those are songs that literally come from the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Most of the book of Psalms you'll find were lyrics to songs that they actually sang in the temple. In fact, there are not notations to the musician of what tune to use and when to pause and so on. And so many of our songs we sing are straight out of the Psalms, just ver verse uh, for verse, word for word. Uh, then he also mentions hymns, Psalms, hymns. Hymns were doctrinal songs. In fact, we find several hymns that are in the scripture. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through, or chapter 1 verses 15 through 18, that is indented in your Bible because it was a hymn that was sung. Philippians chapter 2 verses uh, 6 through 10, also indented in your Bible because it was a hymn. Many scholars believe that even 2 Timothy 3 that we studied last week is indented because it was a hymn. So there were some doctrinal truths that were chanted and sung in the early church to remind themselves of the truths of the gospel. So hymns were more doctrinal in nature. And then you have spiritual songs. Spiritual songs were just songs of testimony of what God has done in my life. You know, we just sang, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. That's a spiritual song. This is my story. This is my testimony. This is how Jesus changed me. And so we sing hymns and we sing spiritual songs unto the Lord. Revelation 5, verse 9 through 10 is a spiritual song. How God is redeemed for all, uh, for all mankind, uh, people from every tribe and tongue and language. What a beautiful thing. So when we come together, we sing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I want to just make a note here that there is a companion verse that sounds a lot like Colossians 3.16. And you find it in, he in Ephesians 5.17. Now, listen to this. Ephesians 5.17. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Did you get that? Sounds almost identical, doesn't it? One of them says, be filled with the Spirit. One of them says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But they both produce these psalms, hymns, spiritual songs that well up to praise to God. And listen, I believe they're saying the same thing from two different directions. To be filled with the Spirit is not necessarily some emotional experience. It just simply means that you are allowing the Spirit of God to fill you as you dwell on the Word of God and seek to obey it. And a heart that's yielded to the Spirit and a heart that's obedient to the Word of God is one that wells up with praise to the Lord. So that's how we operate in our family. When you come here, 
we're all about the word. We want the words of Christ to dwell in us. We're going to teach it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to sing it out with full hearts to God. And then there's a third thing that he mentions here about how we operate as a family. And I love this. He said, in this family, we lift up the name of Jesus. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. Look at the universality of this statement. Whatever you do in everything, uh, uh, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does he mean, do it in the name? Well, the name of Jesus uh, is always a reference to the authority of Jesus and the honor of Jesus. We do something in the name of Jesus, we do it in his authority. But we also do something in the name of Jesus, we seek to lift him up. We seek to honor him. And now remember, he's talking to the group, right? Certainly this applies to your own personal life. You want everything you do personally to lift up and honor Jesus. But he's saying, hey, as a church, when you get together, whatever you do as a church body, be sure that you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you're lifting up Jesus, that you're doing it under the authority of Jesus. And this is really important to us. Why do we preach the gospel every week? Because we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, under his authority. Why is it that we plant churches? We're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus to lift up Christ in every nation and tribe and culture. Why do we, why do we um, invest in the next generation? Why do we do Adventure Week? Because we want every generation to know and follow Jesus, right? Why, why, do, we, uh, why, do, we, why do we this month... By the way, you may not know this, but this whole month of April has been called Love Local Month. And, and literally hundreds of you have been spilling out into our community, serving the poor, caring for the marginalized, sharing the gospel, benefiting other. I mean, hundreds of you have been pouring out and ministering in really tangible ways and talking about what Jesus means to you. Why do we do that? Why do we go out? Why do we do those things? Because we go out in the name of Jesus Christ. We go out in the authority of Christ, but we go out to lift up Jesus. Man, we would never want to do anything in this church that will malign the name of Jesus. We're not going to do some gimmicky, weird thing just to get clickbait on our social media, right? We're not going to do something that's kind of on the edge, you know, just so people think we're edgy. We're not into that. We're just into getting out there and doing what Jesus calls us to do in the authority and the name of Jesus and lifting him up. And that's what he said. That's what you should do. In the name of Jesus. Go forward in the name of Jesus, advance under his authority. So he goes, this is how we operate. It's like the daddy sitting around having a family talk. Okay, folks, this is how we do it in our family. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pursue peace. In our family, we're gonna dwell on the word of God. Large groups, small groups, singing together. And in our family, we're gonna move forward to the mission of Jesus. And we're gonna do it in his name and in his honor. Isn't that great, isn't that great to, to be a part of a family like that? that? By the way, isn't that great to be a part of a family like that? Yeah, that, that's exactly what God wants uh, for us. Yeah, you can clap, that's all right, go ahead. All right, we go ahead and celebrate that uh, together. Now, now let, me just, let me just point out something before I close up because I know my time's out, but I gotta show you this one thing you may have missed, all right? So check this out. Get your pen out. I want you to draw something here. I want you to draw a circle around the phrase in verse 15, be thankful. See that? Verse 15, just put a circle around it. Be thankful. Now, go to verse 16, circle the words grateful hearts. See that? 
Now go to verse 17 and circle the words, giving thanks. And like in my Bible, I, I would connect those circles together. And what's interesting is the thread that runs through all this, that ties it all together, the string that pulls it all together is gratitude, thankfulness, praise. And I remember this week thinking about that. I kind of pushed away from the desk. and was just thinking about, Lord, how is it that, that thankfulness comes up when we do these things? And what God put on my heart was this. He said, Craig, when a church is a family like this, the people in that church are so thankful. They're so thankful to God. They're thankful for their family. They're not critical, they're not negative, they're thankful. They praise God for what he's doing in that family. You know, a lot of times I'll get to come up to people that have, are new to our church, have joined our church, and I'll ask them the question, so what do you love about our church? And it's not uncommon. In fact, I hear the same things over and over. I love that our church loves God's word and really is serious about the Word of God. I love our churches out in the community and, and, and planting churches and advancing the kingdom. I love our church really feels like it's a loving place and their relationships are important. And what's interesting is they always say something about the things we just talked about. And, and they say things like, I'm just so thankful to have a church like this. And you know what? I agree. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that I get to be your pastor. I mean, of all the guys in the world, man, I got to be the one, I'm the lucky one. I got to be your pastor. I get to, we get to do life together. We get to share this life together. We get to be on mission together. We get to work through hard times together and good times together. It's a, it's a blessing and a joy in my life. And I'm thankful for you. I really mean that. You know, when uh, I was growing up as a kid, we used to have Sunday night services. Remember those things? Sunday night services. And at the end of a Sunday night service, we would all stand up and we'd sing this song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And um, are you glad that you're a part of the family of God? And if you, you may say, well, Craig, I'm not sure. I don't know what that means to be a part of the family of God. Well, you can know. You can know. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Being a part of the family of God begins when you're born into it, when you give your life to Christ. Jesus called it, you, you gotta be born again. You gotta be born from above. You have to be born spiritually on the inside. You have to have new life in you, just like that tree sheds its leaves because it's new life is surging through its veins. Uh, there has to be new life that surges through your, vein, your veins. And that happens the moment you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you, to lead you, to come into your life. And maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe today you need to start by saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of faith. And if today you're saying, Pastor, I don't know for sure, but I wanna know for sure. I don't know for sure if I'm saved. I don't know for sure if I'm right with God, but I, want, I don't wanna leave this place until I know for sure. If that's you, then just with your heads bowed I just want you to lift up your hand and that lifted hand just says pastor pray for me I need Christ I'm going to call you out but I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you I'll lead you in a prayer right now to receive Christ so just lift up your hand right now the spirit of God is moving in your heart you don't know for sure that you're right with God okay thank you thank you all right anybody else lift up your hand pastor I just need to know for sure that I'm right with God okay thank you all right thank you I'm not sure but I want to know for sure Anybody else? Several hands. Anybody else? 
All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, anybody else? Okay, put your hands down. Just right where you're seated. God knows your heart. God hears your, hears your heart. So just pray this to him. Just pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please make me new. Today I turn from my old way of life and I choose to follow you and to trust you and to live for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me.